William Walsh's dream became a reality in 1958 when a destroyer was converted into a non-military hospital ship. The good ship Hope was to improve the global image of the United States, a lesson we should hold on to. You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host, and with me today is Dr. Michael Polifka. Dr. Polifka is an internist and an emergency room specialist who has practiced in New England and has just returned from Ghana, where he was the chief medical officer of Project Hope in a clinic there. Thank you very much for joining us today, Dr. Polifka. I'm very glad to be here. To start with, how did you get involved with Project Hope? About three years ago, after 27 years doing primary care internal medicine here in New England, with a family that was now grown and out of the home, I decided it was time for me to segue my career into third world volunteer medicine and actually had planned on leaving my practice to do that. It was quite circumstantial that the world's largest natural disaster, the tsunami in Southeast Asia, had occurred. And it was an opportunity for me right at that time to segue out of that career here and to look at the world much more globally and was fortunate and privileged to be chosen by Project Hope to be one of 250 healthcare professionals from the United States to join them in a joint project in Southeast Asia doing relief in Banda Aceh in Indonesia. You mentioned joint project. Who else was involved? As you know, there, there were many volunteer organizations that were in Southeast Asia at the time internationally from many different countries around the world. This particular was a joint project with the United States Navy that provided the hospital ship, the USNS Mercy, one of the Navy's two hospital ships that was sent to the area. And Project Hope provided almost all of the health professionals that were on board to provide care. For those of us who are not familiar with Project Hope, could you just tell us a little bit about it, how it got started, and what its mission was or is? Project Hope is a very old NGO. It's coming up on its 50th anniversary. And on that USS Hope that you also mentioned, it tootled around the world for a while, stopping at ports here and there to give care in each of the third world countries that it had stopped. And it continued to do that until the boat, quite honestly, just became so old that it was not able to be repaired anymore. And so Project Hope then went to predominantly, not predominantly, entirely land-based operations. And they currently have an enormous number of small operations in many different countries focusing on maternal child health, for example, again, in virtually all the continents around the world. And in addition, they also have a global health wing that also does larger projects, such as building a children's hospital in Beijing and currently building a hospital in Baghdad. And about three years ago, a conversation apparently was entertained higher up between some of the people at Project Hope and the U.S. Navy about running a joint project. That is, the the Navy had these two large hospital ships that really have been very little used, but really didn't have the medical personnel to staff them. And Project Hope suggested a win-win joint project, and that conversation came to enough fruition so that when the tsunami occurred, the Navy agreed and sent the ship, and Project Hope rapidly put together a world-class team of multiple 
specialized doctors and nurses to staff that. So the Navy, the seamen, our regular Navy, they're on active duty in this partnership. Is that correct? There was a small contingency of active U.S. Navy medical people there. But because of the Navy's constraints in manpower, like everybody else, and particularly with the military's current medical requirements for its staff abroad and the conflicts that we are involved in, did not have the full staff to to man this ship, and hence the partnership was formed. I was thinking of the captain of the ship and the seamen and the, you know, the navigators, the, the hands-on running the ship and docking it and loading it, those type of people. Exactly. And, and in addition, there were a few, perhaps 10 to 15 Navy medical people, several, a couple of surgeons and a couple of head nurses, people who had worked and knew where the equipment was, how to turn on the computers, etc. Yeah, I know where the U.S. Navy gets its funding, although sometimes I wonder, especially with the tremendous drain on our resources. But where does Project Hope get its funding? Project Hope is completely a volunteer organization. All the medical people who were there, doctors and nurses, are all volunteers. It's funding to provide the backup force is all done through private donations. If you're just joining us, I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and I'm speaking with Dr. Michael Polifka. Dr. Polifka is a chief medical officer of a Project Hope mission in Ghana, and we're talking about the reaching out to the underserved by this longstanding organization. Now, I know Ghana is where you've been recently, but after the tsunami, didn't you go to some other countries as well? The experience that I had with Project Hope was virtually a life-changing experience for me and, in fact, solidified my professional career change to do predominantly third-world volunteer medicine. I continued after that to go to different countries around the world for uh, volunteer projects. And in particular, my experience with Project Hope in the U.S. Navy was such a good one that I have continued to volunteer with Project Hope approximately once or twice a year since then. What are the things? You mentioned it's been a great experience. What would you walk away with today if somebody asked, why has it been such a wonderful experience for you? I would say that in general, my change to volunteer medicine has been just incredibly rewarding professional change for me. The classic of you get more than you receive is absolutely true. There is an unbelievable amount of heartfelt gratitude from virtually 100% of patients that you see in the third world. And there's, I would say on top of that, there, there's a personal satisfaction knowing that because I showed up, that a person who probably, a patient who probably would not have been cared for, their life is just a little bit better. In particular, related to the work that I've done with Project Hope, I would say that coming away from that mission, it really was the first time in many years, probably decades, that I could honestly say that I was proud to be an American. This was, uh, this was put on as a joint project, and the face of America, because this was not just American individuals, but this was an American government-sanctioned project that was incredibly well-received, not only by the government there, but also by the people there. It is a well-known statistic that the American sentiment of the average Indonesian, for example, lives in Jakarta, in the capital of Indonesia, was 25% pro-American prior to the tsunami. After the tsunami, it was changed to 75%. And we, the American people, did really nothing more than show up and care for people amongst the poorest people in the world and show them that we cared. 
it seems that our foreign policy could be benefited by these kinds of projects, that the focus has always been in this country of buying military equipment. And here's an example. It sounds like we're just showing up, caring, and providing care that they wouldn't ever receive possibly makes a bigger difference. I would hope so. And the reason why I have continued to be very enthusiastic about these joint missions is to continue to put my small little shoulder to the wheel of that and continue to encourage our country to be doing these kinds of things. There is at least some evidence that somebody up there in the government gets that. And I say that because the year after, the Navy decided to send the ship back to Southeast Asia on a revisit. The following year, the Navy sent out two ships, one to Southeast Asia and one to Latin America. And this year, now perhaps even more missions. So perhaps, again, in a little way, somebody's getting it. It certainly sounds like it. The recent clinic that you were at, and I believe you were the chief medical officer there, what was the patient mix like? What did you see in that particular clinic in Ghana? Yes, in Ghana. Predominantly, these are diseases of the poor, Maury, related to the fact that things that we so often take for granted, clean water, healthy environment, nutritious and readily available and affordable food, are clearly not available there. We saw an enormous amount of malaria, typhoid fever, gastrointestinal parasitic disorders, as well as a variety of what I would call standard disorders that we take for granted, hypertension, that was severe, and I mean really severe, in its untreated complications that were way too prevalent in people too young to have those complications. What kind of equipment and drugs and staff did you have at this clinic? The medicines were, by and large, medicines that we would all consider to be standard generic medicines. These are medicines that had to be, by and large, paid for generally by patients, although we did bring some medicines with us. The medicines that we brought with us were usually just to get patients started for several months, for example, on chronic, some chronic disorders, and we tried to mesh them with the medicines that were available generically there. Medicines that I would tell you that I was quite impressed about their availability included medicines for treatment of tuberculosis and for HIV-AIDS, which were, by and large, we would consider standard medicines that we use here. They were given out, dispensed in appropriate protocols under circumstances that were quite surprising in, in how primitive in general the, the clinic was. The equipment, there's very little equipment there at all. There's a laboratory. I believe would have to, you'd have to put this in quotes. This laboratory was literally a small wooden shack where one could get a hematocrit, a malaria smear, and a pregnancy test and a urinalysis, and that's really about it. X-rays were rarely available and of very poor quality. So there's a lot of work that is done in the third world in resource-poor areas that clearly is done without the benefit of ancillary services. You know, I was thinking that you were a volunteer doctor, and how did you get up to speed? I'm thinking of being in Ghana and being faced by exotic diseases that I certainly didn't see in my practice as an internist. It doesn't sound like this was a particular problem. I think that, first of all, if you're going to do this kind of work, number one, you really need to limit what your prior expectations are, and you need to be flexible about resource-poor areas. You need to understand that, in general, that things are not done the way we might necessarily do them here in the United States. 
I think very often that if one takes a little bit of a breath and then takes a step backward and say, now, wait a minute, I can sort of think this through back the way we were trained without necessarily all the ancillary equipment, you can diagnose pneumonia with just a stethoscope. Remember that? We used to do that. And on top of that, there are fortunately some very portable resources that we can take with us. Dr. Polifka has certainly made us feel that he is proud to be a physician and also proud to be an American. I'd like to really thank him for being with us today and discussing Project HOPE and its role in bringing care to underserved areas. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, visit us at reachmd.com. Register with promo code RADIO and receive six months free streaming for your office or home. Thank you for listening.